Hi guys, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors of Heart of Life, and I want to thank you for joining with us today, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit with you today. I want to jump right into a story, a story about a man named Jacob who was given a vision And it was unique because up until this time, no one had ever been given such a vision. It was actually a vision that involved a staircase, a a ladder, a, a ladder that served as a bridge between heaven and earth. In his vision, he, he saw angels that were ascending and descending, and at the very top of the ladder was none other than the Lord himself. Genesis chapter 28 records Jacob's response. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This place is the house of God. This place is the gate to heaven. It was a place that was very special to the people of Israel because of the very special thing that God did in Jacob's life that night. It was God communicating a desire for connection. Not a separation between him and earth, but connection. And the Bible tells us that that place was called Bethel. Bet means house. El, that's God. Bethel means the house of God. A special place. Let me tell you a second story. After 40 years of Wandering, it is finally time for God's people to enter a land that God had promised them. What stood in their way was a rushing torrent of water known as the Jordan River. And we read that the Jordan River was actually at flood stage when this very story takes place. How in the world do you get an entire nation across a river at flood stage? Well, we're told that God had instructed them and it happened just like he said it would. When the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant touched the water of the Jordan, the waters parted. The water stopped flowing so that there was a a dry ground. And, And as the priest stood with the ark in the middle of the Jordan, all of the nation passed over. And when the ark exited the Jordan, the waters began to rush again. But what we're told in that process is that God instructed one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel while they were crossing the Jordan to select a stone from the middle of the Jordan. 
Each of them selects a stone from the riverbed. They carry it to the other side. And we're told that on the other side, they stacked those 12 stones. I didn't bring 12 today because I was afraid of where that would go. This just represents 12 river stones that were stacked, one on top of the other. And those 12 stones became a reminder. Every time they looked at it, it reminded them of God's power, God's power to bring them into that land. Well, the Bible tells us that the place, the place where those stones were stacked was a place called Gilgal, a very special place in the hearts of God's people because of what he did there. So one more story. God had instructed Abraham to journey to a new land. And the promise was, Abraham, you're going to have descendants that are going to become a great nation. Abraham begins to make that journey. We find him in this story at what we would eventually know to be the very southern tip of what would eventually be the nation Israel's land, which puts him on the very northern edge of the desert. And what we know about the desert is if you don't have water, you die. So the story is that Abraham dug a well. He he dug a well that that would enable him to to take care of his flocks. It It would enable his family to stay alive. He digs a well. But as the story goes, uh, soon comes along the servants of the local king. His name was Abimelech. And Abimelech claimed that the well was his. Well, Abraham pushes back, and Abraham says, oh, no, I, I dug this well. And you, you can read the story. The, the story is that Abraham ends up giving Abimelech seven lambs. It was a sign that, that Abraham really did dig this well. And on that day, a covenant was cut, and it was determined. This belonged to Abraham. And the significance is this this becomes like this first concrete moment where legally Abraham owns some land that God says this is eventually going to be the nation that I build from you. A treaty, a treaty took place over a well. And the place, the Bible tells us, was called Beersheba. Beersheba, it means well of the seven, or it means well of the promise. Beersheba was a special place for God's people. It's where they saw God's purpose fulfilled. Three remarkable stories, three remarkable places. Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. And now you are ready to hear the words from the prophet Amos. Listen to what he says in Amos chapter 5, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. 
do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Well, that's our, that's our three cities. That, that's our, our three places. Three places very dear to the heart of God's people. Bethel, right? The, the, the house of God. The, the, the place where, where Jacob saw the ladder where heaven meets earth. A reminder of God's presence realized. Gilgal. Where, where, where they walk across the Jordan River on, on dry ground, a, a reminder of God's power displayed. Beersheba, where God gives Abraham a treaty in order for land to be, to be moved into by Abraham's family that would eventually become where the nation would reside. It was a, it was a reminder of God's purpose fulfilled, almighty acts of God. So don't go there? God, why not seek Bethel? Why not go to Gilgal? Why not journey to Beersheba? What is God dealing with? Amos makes it clear that God says those things to his people because Israel had fallen into a trap. It was the trap of recounting God's mighty Acts of the past, but not seeking God in the present. This is the way I would describe it. It represents people whose relationship with God has really been reduced down to a list of miracles that God has done in the past. Some of those miracles they may have seen God do. Some of those miracles they may have, have heard God do. But, but, the, but you reduce this relationship with God to miracles, acts of wonder that God has done in the past without continuing to have connection to seek God now and live. That happened to God's people long ago. And you know what? It can still happen to God's people today. When I think back through some of the things that God has allowed me to experience in my life and, and what we've experienced as a church, quite honestly, there, there are some gatherings of the church that my mind can race back to that, that, that I would describe those gatherings of, of a moment when it felt like heaven was touching earth. It, it was one of those moments where God's presence was so realized. You, you walked away from that gathering and you didn't even have words to describe not only what you saw, but what you felt. We have had those moments where we can look back and think about God's presence realized. I, th I think about 
I think about times when God has given us as a church opportunity to step into territory that, that we thought we, we thought we were hearing him, him call us to. And then there were these wild moments where, where God just parted water. He, he just stopped the water and he allowed us to walk across on dry land. Moments that, that you can't explain except for the hand of God. Moments that he's given us literally territory. He, he has given us property. He has given us buildings. We saw him do it in Peculiar. We saw him do it in a, in a little place called Burdett. We saw him do it in Adrian. We, we, we've seen him do it in Harrisonville. We've seen God do that time and time again where he displays his power and we look back and we know. And I think of God giving us favor for the mission I think of all the relationships that God has allowed us to have with people even of other countries, peace, peaceful relationships that open the door, that we were able to adopt children, that we were able to start shelters for orphans, that, that we were able to get into to public schools by doing things like teaching English, just amazing moments where we recognize God's purpose being fulfilled. And even if we didn't have those, we could open God's word and look back to a day called Pentecost, right? Where, where 3,000 people, the Bible says, came to, to, to trust in Jesus in just one day. In fact, you read the whole book of Acts, and it's just this boom, 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 one after another, God on the move. I, then you think about a, a history, our history. I think about a time called the Reformation. I, I think about the modern missionary movement. All of those we can look back and see. God's presence realized, God's power displayed, God's purpose being fulfilled. And so what is God saying in Amos, both to Israel and to us? Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, look, what I did in the past is never supposed to become a substitute or a distraction from what I am doing right now. Now, those moments in the past, as great as they are, they, I want you to see those as invitations for you to believe me, he says, that I am able and I am willing to move now. His name is not I was. His name is I am. And his message is, seek me and live. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong in remembering. There were even moments that God told them to remember. But there's everything wrong in only remembering what God has done in the past and not waiting on God now. That's what we talked about last week. There's, there's everything wrong with not listening to God now, not following God now, not moving with God now. Now, some people will miss the present in what God is doing because they are so focused on what he's done in the past. But it is also true that you can miss what God is doing in the present because you are so focused on the future. And that's exactly what takes place in, in Amos chapter 5. Let me, let me read a little more of what the prophet has to say. Verse 18, 
He says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. What is this about? They, they long for the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is when God's going to show up and he's going to make everything right. He's going to save those who trust in him. It, it ushers in the defeat of all of God's enemies and the deliverance of God's friends. We, we would tend to refer to this as we look forward to Jesus' return. And Amos says, why are you looking for that? He says, why are you looking for that? He said, that's, that's kind of like you suddenly encountering a lion. And you turn to run from the lion only to face a bear. Or, or you escape both into your house only to lean against the wall of your house and have a snake bite you. What's the imagery there? The imagery there is you're moving from something that okay is bad, but you're moving to something worse. You're, you're not escaping the trouble. You're actually moving into more trouble. What, 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 is, what is he saying here? You think you're ready for heaven, but you're not. Verse 22, look what he says. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings... I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. He says, you bring your offerings, God rejects them. You sing your songs of praise, God does not listen to them. And why? Because God says this is an issue of justice and righteousness. This is about justice. This is, this is about fairness and equity, a restoration about those who are less fortunate than you are. Let me show you what I mean, because if you back up to verse 12, it becomes really clear. For I know... How many are your offenses and how great your sins? There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. It says you're mistreating people. You're eagerly anticipating your future salvation, longing for heaven but you are not seeking God now. And the evidence that you are not seeking God now is your continual sin in how you treat people. You, you are indulging in worship while ignoring injustice. Your mouths are open to sing your praise songs, but you don't speak for justice. You, your hands raise in praise, but you don't work for justice. There are people all around you who are hurting and you do not stand in righteousness. The point is that people who truly know God, people who truly seek God now, they will worship God above them while they sacrificially 
work for justice around them. And God makes it clear. When you see him, you will begin to see people like he sees people. All equally valuable in his sight. None more than another. No matter the race or the creed or the belief or the situation or the gender or anything else, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Amos would say, you know the words to the song, but you don't know the God of the song because your life doesn't look like you are seeking God now. You talk about his acts in the past. You long for heaven in the future, but you are not seeking God now. And it's evidenced in how you treat people. One of the most impactful moments of my young life, I was a teenager when I found out that the church that I thought loved Jesus and people did not. I was a preacher's kid and invited my friends to church. These are uh, friends that I went to school with, friends that I played ball with. They are friends that ate at our dinner table in our home. They are friends that slept in our house. But they were friends who had a different color skin than me. And let's just say that they were not warmly welcomed in my church. Guys, you got to realize whether it's racism or it's classism, whether it's a a, a wealth-ism issue, an education-ism issue, a sex-ism, whatever it is, it is the sin of partiality. It is when you, when you begin to give preferential treatment to someone based on, on anything, that sin of partiality gets power when we stop regarding all people as made in the image and the likeness of God. And when you really seek God, you will begin to see all people like God sees all people fully loved and perfectly made in his image. That moment in my life was a potential moment for me to walk away from the church. And even if I had not been allowed to do so physically, I could have done so with my heart. And just say, you know what? All this is fake. Because I've been watching these people teach Sunday school classes. I've been watching these people sing their praise songs. I've been watching these people give their offerings. But the truth of the matter is they see themselves better than other people. And I think they were fake. But I am grateful for the grace of God in my life. that I had walked with Jesus long enough that I knew that Jesus wasn't fake. And I'm grateful for some parents 
that I watched navigate this issue. And I knew that they were not fake. I remember, just like yesterday, sitting around our dinner table. And my dad is saying to our family of four, we got to stand where Jesus tells us to stand. But you know what? It might mean they make us leave. It is not enough to just say that something is wrong. Those who seek Jesus now, they act in justice and in righteousness. And so I think the question that follows is, well, how do you know how to do that, man? How do you know what to do in those moments? Because come on, there, there is injustice all around us. There, there are issues all around. How do, how do you know how to do that the right way? And my answer would be to take you back to the bookends that Amos gives us when he's saying, don't, don't seek right Bethel, don't seek Gilgal, don't go to Beersheba. The line that he gives is God saying, seek me and live. Seek me and live. And so to help you process that today, it is impossible for my mind not to jump to a place in the Bible where Jesus is addressing a particular church. And we're told that they are a church very similar to what we hear in Amos where they don't seem to care. They are described as indifferent. The language that is used of them is they are like lukewarm water that Jesus says he wants to spit out of his mouth. Now, the thing is, they think they've got it. They think they got it all together. But he says, you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. In other words, you are missing it. In fact, he says, you're missing me. Because this is then the invitation that Jesus extends to them. It's found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I think it's interesting that most church people tend to believe that that verse is for non-Christians. It always tends to be used as, as, as a way to say, hey, Jesus wants to be, right? He, he wants to, to enter your life. But, but the context of, of, this, of this verse is Jesus talking to a church. The context of this verse is he's talking to people who claim to follow him, but, but you hear this, this echo of the call from Amos, and he's saying, you're so comfortable in your gatherings. You're so safe when you, when you come together, but you don't realize you have shut the doors to the cries of those who are hurting around you, and therefore you don't realize you have shut your door to me. But then... He makes the offer. And it's like, oh my goodness, do you hear the offer that is being made? Uh, think of it this way. Like, who, whoever is, is the, the most famous person that you would love to meet, 
all right? And, and I, I, would, I would love to get some of that feedback. I would just love to hear from people like, who's the most famous person that you would love to be able to just sit down across the table, have a conversation? Like, what if you could have dinner with them? And I'm saying that Jesus just extended that invitation to us. And yet, isn't it weird that we don't seem to act the same way in the fact that he makes the invitation versus what it would be if like the person that I really want to meet, like that, that person that I'd really, like what does that mean that the creator of the universe speaks it into existence? That's the guy we're talking about who's willing to, to sit down and say, I'd love to have dinner with you. What does that tell you about what we think of Jesus? What does that tell you about? Is he real to us? And my answer is, oh, but he is. And once you start to hang out with him, once you see how he loves you, then you will begin to see how he loves others. And it will move you into becoming a part of that rushing torrent of restorative justice throughout the world as his kingdom is being made known on earth as it is in heaven. So, I just want to do my best to paint a little picture for you. To, um, to hopefully... hopefully help us see just this idea here I'll do this one just this idea of Jesus saying hey you want to have coffee now my world exists a lot around that question of people saying hey you want to have coffee hey you want to get together and have a cup of coffee because there's something I want to talk to you about. Hey, you want to get together and have a cup of coffee? Because I'd like to ask you about something. And, and, and I love that because I think the cup of coffee, there's something about barriers that tend to come down. It's kind of like when you have a meal with someone, we all recognize that moves from a, from a boardroom kind of feel, right? And, 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 and it's like, no, you actually get to sit down and there's connection. And Jesus is... Uh, Offering an invitation of, hey, want to have coffee? Now, I'm going to just say that in that conversation with Jesus, that could go like wherever he wants it to go, right? That could go a thousand different ways. And, and what I'm about to describe to you, I'm not saying that this is, this is how my conversations with Jesus go all the time. Honestly, sometimes those conversations involve a lot more silence. Sometimes those conversations are about us sitting together and, and, and he's not necessarily saying anything and sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. So I, I don't want to give you that impression that every time I sit down with Jesus, like everything that I ever want to know, and I, that's not my point, but my point is that he really does. He really does meet with us. At least he's willing. If you open the door and you pour the cup of coffee, 
Here's maybe what that conversation could go like in light of what we've heard from Amos today. I say, Jesus, um, thanks for doing this. And I imagine him saying, you know I got you today. I got you. And I'm saying, I'm asking you to help me to trust that. That every day I could actually see, it's not just one moment that we can have coffee, but like all through the day, this could be. Like all through the day, this could be like where we are. And he says, I got you. He said, I want to tell you some stories, and it's the greatest thing when Jesus tells stories, right? And, and, And he says, do you remember... Do you remember the story that John records between me and Nathaniel? And I would say, yeah, I think I remember that story. And Jesus says, well, I want you to just tell me what you remember about that story. And I would say, well, as, as I remember, you approach Nathaniel, and when Nathaniel hears that you are from Nazareth, Nathaniel's response is, what good could ever come from Nazareth? And Jesus says, that's right. And I say, I think that's because he was prejudiced. I think that Nathaniel thought that, that he was better than anybody who was coming out of Nazareth. And Jesus said, that's right. And I would say, but Jesus, you got to him. You you got to his heart. And and I remember Nathaniel saying that he knew that you, you really are the son of God, but you told him, you told Nathaniel that he would see greater things than that. In fact, Jesus, you told Nathaniel that he would see heaven open and you told him that he would see angels ascending and descending on the son of God and I imagine Jesus in this conversation saying to me that's right Jeff, do you understand that I am the latter? Jeff, do you understand that I am heaven meets earth? Jeff, do you understand that what I have done for you is the bridge that brings you to God? Jeff, do you understand that you are forgiven And you belong to me because I am the latter. And if I'm having a conversation with Jesus over coffee, I'm probably fighting some emotion to say, Jesus, I pretty much need to be reminded of that every single day. I need this so that I can hear you tell me I'm yours every day.
He said, that's what I want you to get. He says, but I want you to tell me another story. He says, I I want you to tell me what you remember about the time that I asked the disciples, like, who people said I was, and and Peter had an answer, and I'm like, yeah, I, I got that one. I got it. I think, I think I remember you, Jesus, you asked them, who do people say I am? And, and they started responding. Some say you're a prophet and some say that you're Elijah. But Peter, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock that I am the Christ, I am the son of the living God, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And I imagine Jesus saying to me over coffee, he's like, yeah, and do you remember what Peter said later on in the, in the letter that, that I had him write? And I'm like, you know what he did? Peter said, we seek Jesus, the living stone, but he has made us to be living stones of every race, every nation, every language, every people. It says he made us to be living stones built up into a spiritual household, a holy priesthood. And over coffee, I imagine Jesus saying to me, so do you hear me? My church, Jeff has never been brick and mortar. My church is flesh and blood that I bought with my own blood and the gates of hell are never going to stop you. Jeff, my church has never been brick and mortar. My church is living stones that wherever you go with me, declaring Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the rock. My church is built. And over coffee, I'm saying, Jesus, I need you to remind me often that my feet stand on ground that you say, if the whole earth shakes, you, the rock, will not shake. I need this. He says, all right, then let's go one more story. He says, Jeff, I want you to, I want you to tell me about the day that I had a conversation at a well. And I would say, a Samaritan, a woman, and he says, yeah. So, well, what I remember is that she came to draw water there, and when I read the scripture, it looks like you were pretty purposeful in showing up at the same time. But what I remember about her She had been married five times. And the man that she was living with 
at that point wasn't her husband. And I always struggle when I read that story imagining how much pain, how much brokenness, how many times she had been betrayed, rejected. I try to imagine the woundedness of her heart. And what I remember, Jesus, is that you said to her, if you keep drinking from the water of this well, you're gonna have to keep coming back because you'll be thirsty again. But Jesus, you told her that if she would drink the water you give, that she would never thirst again. And that the water you gave her would become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I imagine over coffee that Jesus says, that's right. He says, do you understand that she just kept going back again and again and again to the well of relationships over and over again, trying to fill the thirst inside of her. And he said, you realize I'm the only one who can fill the thirst of a soul. He said, Jeff, the same is true of you. You will never fill the thirst of your soul anywhere else except when you seek me and live. I'm going to jump out of this conversation. And I'm going to deal with the fact that, you know, maybe some of you uh, are thinking, well, Quite honestly, Jeff, if you were really having coffee with Jesus, like if you were really having coffee with the creator of the universe, if you were really having coffee with God himself, I mean, wouldn't you at least give him like a real coffee mug, right? I mean, it'd be like a real cup. I mean, seriously, we're going to go with the, with the plastic cups. I mean, you, you would give him something nicer, and I would use that opportunity to tell you that here is what I have discovered over many, many years of having coffee with Jesus. He takes his coffee to go. He takes his coffee to go. Here's what I mean. I don't want you to misunderstand. There, he wants to be with you. His invitation is, I want to sit down with you. There are moments that it's just you and me, and I'm listening to your heart, and I, I get to hear his heart. And, and as he speaks, I'm trying to listen. There are moments that, that he says, I, I'm going to be just with you. But, but this is his heart. Jeff, we take our coffee. We take this relationship. It's supposed to go because the truth is, I, I want the whole world to know that I am living water. I want the whole world to know that I am the rock on which you can stand. I want the whole world to know that I am the ladder. I am the bridge. I have done everything that is necessary for you to be with me. 
And I would challenge you to understand that coffee with Jesus means, yes, there is closeness, but it does not mean closed. Because this table is open. Because he's constantly going. And he's bringing them to the table. He's saying, Jeff, come on, you, you come with me. Jesus, where are we going? We're going to go to the ends of the earth. Come on, go with me. Jesus, where are we going? We're going to those that nobody thinks is worth going to. We're going to those who hurt. We're going to those who are alone. We're going to those who thirst. Get your coffee. And let's go. And the longer you have coffee with Jesus, the more you discover that there are amazing people that begin to join you at the table. Prostitutes, tax collectors, Pharisees, Samaritans. And if you hang out having coffee with Jesus very long, you realize you need a bigger table because his message to the whole world, seek me and live, live. What has Jesus shown you lately about his love? I don't mean what did he show you 40 years ago when you met him. I don't mean what did he show you last year or last month. I mean, like, what has Jesus shown you lately about his love? And what has he called you to act on because he has shown you such love? Honestly, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I am sure that I do not want to be stuck in yesterday when today I can seek him. for coffee today and an invitation that extends to every day. I thank you for stories of old that leave no doubt in our mind that you are the connection for us between heaven and earth. You are the solid rock on which we stand and you are the water that fills the thirst of our soul. I thank you for an invitation to not just know those things about you, but to know you. And God, my prayer is that out of what we have heard today, 
God, you would drive our heart to seek you. And as we seek you, trusting that you make our heart like yours. God, as we see how you love us, you teach us how you love others. God, today, today, we want to know more about how you love. God, today, we want to know more of your heart that our heart might be like yours. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for the time together today. It's in the name of Jesus that I